Hello and welcome to Dial F a Flanger. Um, that, that's my nickname. It's a terrible name for a show, but it, you know what it is is a, it's a chat show. I talk to people about comics and stuff like that. And today I'm talking to Kieran Jack, who is an Aussie comic creator uh, down in Melbourne, and uh, he has a comic that he's uh, showing around at the moment called The Talking Bread, which has a it's been around for a while. But uh, I think this is your first collection. Is that's what's coming, Kieran? Yes, correct. That is correct. Uh, thank you for having me on the show, Paul. It's, uh, it's great to be here and to be able to talk uh, talk about my work and just generally talk about comics as well, which is my passion and my joy. Oh, fantastic. So how long have you been making comics? Uh, actually, no, we'll go before that. What are the comics that have inspired your your creativity in your life? Where where's all this come from? Uh, look, I've been reading comics from a very early age. My, uh, my auntie gave me my first comic book, which was Batman 706, I think. I'm probably going to screw that up. But yeah, she was, that was the first comic that I ever received. Batman 706, that's post-Legacy, I'm guessing. Yes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> I know that era. <laughs> and from there, I think it just spiraled out of control. Um, I was constantly hassling the news agency in my local town where I grew up for um, new release comics, whether it be Phantom, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, you know, the classic ones you'd find in a news agents back in the... Uh, in the early 90s and i mean you know the movies and the cartoons were heavily influenced on me as well you know reading the comics lent into the watching the films and becoming a big fan i'm i'm a huge fan of batman have been all my life um but i think as a teenager i started to try and find different different avenues different uh different comic books that piqued my interest. I was very much into cartoons, you know, Animaniacs, Looney Tunes, um, you know, Nickelodeon series like uh, Aru Monsters and Rocco's Modern Life. Things were really weird and different. So I started to kind of peek into that world of comic books and I found um, books like The Max, um, Johnny Homicidal Maniac, uh, what else was there? Scud, The Disposable Assassin, The <laughs> Mask, you know, thing, things that weren't yeah, your typical, you know, superhero comics, they were really weird and obscure. And I, I found I found an interest in that. And I was like, wow, this is this is really cool. So I started to dot, dig deeper into that. And, and you know, it's just it's, it's fascinating to see what's out there. And especially today, I think that the industry is thriving off, you know, weird and wacky comics. And for me, it's, it's, it's kind of it's really cool to see that and to be able to grow up with those kind of comics as well and kind of just see how it all plays out. It's interesting you mentioned uh, the Max and Scud, because I, I, that's one thing I noticed about your your work, is it's it has zany leaps and things like that. So it, the talking bread is uh, about some sentient bread that escapes from a bakery and uh, yeah, it goes on the run and continually is pursued by the master baker, which I have to be careful how I say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's uh, common. It's... <laughs> and the atomic toaster and things like that. So it's been, yeah, I can see that sort of, that zaniness of Scud and, you know, things like that in there. So you didn't want to do something noirish or, you know, derivative superheroes. It was more, you know, let's have fun. Uh, yeah, so the inspiration for the talking bread, where did that come from? Firstly, I, I kind of, I grew tired of the mainstream comic world. And I just, I, you know, the reboots and the constant new stories when you, you're reading, you know, for instance, Batman, they, New 52, for instance, was a great example of, you know, I really had started from the beginning and kind of, and then I decided they'll reboot. And I kind of got tired of the format. And it's not 
nothing against them doing that. It's just I was I was tied that format, and I'd found the world of indie comics um, through my local comic book store at the time, All Star Comics, and they had independent comics, like Australian written comics. And I was like, wow, this is an actual industry. And I was like, why why am I not doing something? I, I read comics. I love comics. I love to draw. Um, I'm self taught illustrator. Um, and I was like, why am I not doing that? So, uh, I decided one, eight, one early evening, uh, I was going to do it. And I, I, I threw it into the mix of what, what, what have I gone through in my own life? What is personal to me? You know, a lot of great stories written off personal affliction. So I was like, well, what, what have I done? And I was thinking of something that was different. It wasn't superhero, but it was weird. It was cartoonish. It was wacky. And I was like, well, I was a baker for 10 years and I've got some, you know, some interesting stories to tell there of people that I've worked with and situations that have happened in the bakery. And I was like, oh, there you go. That's, that's it. That's how, that's how I tell my, my story. And the talking bread was conceived upon that. And it, it's so interesting because like whenever someone sees the book, they're like, Oh, it's a parody of the, the walking dead. That was never the idea behind it. It was purely like it was called the talking bread because there was bread talking in it um and it, it, it's funny yeah I, I came up the idea at 3 a.m in the morning um whilst in the bakery and and basically i'm like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna have a crack at doing this and i, I came up with a weird story and i pitched it to a couple of mates who were in the industry that i'd, I'd met through um different avenues and they loved the idea they said it was a it was a different different story that they've seen in the uh, indie comics community, and they reckon I should have, should go for it. So I basically took the leap of faith and, and threw myself into the deep end and created a comic book, not knowing – I mean, I've read comics, but not actually knowing how to construct a comic or how to um, – to, to kind of map it out. So I really threw myself into the deep end, which was great because, I mean, in a lot of instances, you kind of find yourself in that situation. It's like, do I take that step and do it? Is it it's an uncertainty, um, imposter syndrome. Um, those kind of situations come to play. And it's kind of, I just threw myself into it and, and achieved it, which was exciting in itself. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting going back to it now um, from seven years ago and looking at it and where it was to where it is now. Um, it's been a really great experience. Mm. So where was the steepest learning curve in what you were trying to do? It's funny because the first issue didn't have a script. It was purely just me having fun illustrating first and then writing the script around the illustrations. I had an idea. I had a I had a, an idea of what it was and where, where I wanted the story to go for the first issue, but it wasn't anything um, bulked down in plot. It was more just character-driven. Um, Zaneness. And so I kind of, the hardest thing was, you know, the sequential art and trying to keep it fluent and keep the reader, you know, turning those pages, page turners, what they call them. Um, and so I, I think that's what my biggest struggle was. And going back and remastering it from seven years ago to putting it into full color now, it's been a, it's been a really interesting process of looking and reflecting upon my own work and really making sure that the sequential art is, it follows suit and it keeps the reader's eye moving because I think that's the biggest thing. Um, biggest criticism I have of myself is now when I create new comics is that I'm, I'm making sure that I am – it's just as much for me as it is for them as well. They have to make sure that they're intrigued and they want to keep reading it. Um, otherwise, 
you know, your audience probably won't grow from there. So that's the biggest, biggest hurdle to overcome with creating independent comics. And as far as the, the practical side of the publishing, I mean, how did you go about learning about that? And, you know, are there publishers in Australia who are just dying to publish a comic or is it just like, you know, you need to know people who have done it before, blaze the trail already? Yeah, look, uh, again, I, I just threw myself in the deep and I had no understanding of publishing. Um, I had no idea of the the costs or the... I guess the promotion that you need to do to get it out there. Um, I come, I, before I, when I left baking, I became a graphic designer. So I had the understanding of how to put thing, a book together, collate a book. So that side was all okay. It was, um, do I take it to a publisher? Is it worthy enough to be presented to a publisher? And I didn't believe that at the time. And I just went to a platform called Kickstarter, which, um, 2015 was, I think it's about four years old at that stage. So there wasn't a lot of talk amongst indie communities. There was indie creators using it, but it wasn't a lot of talk. And so I kind of took the leap of faith and just jumped onto it and had a crack at doing it that way, publishing it through Kickstarter. And what it is, it practically is a, a, a campaign that you will pre-order a comic on. That's how I see it now. It's a pre-order system. But what you're doing is you're giving funds to an independent creator to publish their work independently without having a publishing label or all the other, the, um, the, the commotion that comes with signing up to a publisher. Um, and I think that was a great way of getting the work out to a larger audience that might not necessarily go to a comic book store and find your comic. Um, I had, a, I've had a lot of, um, people come to me from around the world which is something i never expected and pick up my comic book so it's a lot harder when you're independent but at the same time it's also a lot easier because you're following your own rules um, and granted i've made mistakes along the way um, but i've learned from those mistakes and it's been i guess it's just been uh it's been the growing of it as well i had to grow from each uh, each comic i've released and it's important to kind of do that as well because it creates, it creates, I guess, a bit of loyalty with your readers and they'll return if they know that you're the genuine, you're a genuine person and you know, you, you can commit to what you're releasing. Um, we've, I've run 16 successful Kickstarter campaigns now. Wow. And it's been, it's, it's been, a, been a tough road, but some of them haven't gone as well as what I would have hoped. Um, but they do take a lot of, uh, work. I mean, there's a, I think now it's about a three month process. Even though a campaign runs for a month, you have a month of promotion. So you do your pre-promotion and then you'll do a month of promotion whilst the campaign's running. And then there's the month after, which is getting the funding, getting the books printed, getting all the merchandise or the packaging ready to send out. And then it's the actual shipping of the product out to the backers as well. And then after that, you have promotion that is getting it into comic book stores, um, whether it be your locals or you do, we do try and get it out to as many around Australia as possible. We do have it, um, stock, some of our comics stocked in America and also going to conventions and doing them there and selling the books there. So yeah, look, it, it's a continuing, um, journey where we're on and yeah, doing it self publishing and self promotion, I think, Looking at what they do now with um, the mainstream comics, whether it's distributed through Diamond or um, Penguin, 
It's very much the same, I think, with the smaller publishers too. Like they will require you to do some promoting yourself. It's not just purely um, them. You know, you deliver the book and it's out to them to to market. It's really behind the people behind the the work that people want to know. And I guess social media has made a big thing of that now is that people who are reading the content, they want to know the person who created it. They want to have that connection. And I think that's really important um, as a creator. You kind of have to lend yourself to the audience that you're selling to because there is a um, there's a personal connection there that they want to know that this person is real and they want to know that they're just a, just a genuine human being that is interested in the product the same things that they are, hence why they're picking up the comic book. Yeah. So I, I created a small publishing label, Halftone Productions, back in 2016, after the first couple of releases of Halftone Effect, because I had some friends who were around me who had didn't really have the um, – they were writers or they were illustrators, but they didn't really have the, um, the idea of how to put it out there. So uh, what I did was I was like, all right, well, I'll create a, a small little publishing label. I'll help you with um, getting your book out there obviously a small service fee on top of making the comics, putting it together, getting it into stores. Um, but they retain the IP. It's, it's their, it's their baby. I don't want to take that from them. Um, and from that, it was, it's been a really good relationship with the, the two um, guys that I've got on board now um, who have got their own comic books out. So that's how it's kind of all started. And it's kind of snowballed into this, this um, huge process now that we do, and we're we're very we're a, a, a small, or a small person in the industry when it comes to um when you think of the big leagues now. But it's still it's such a joy to be able to do this and kind of see other people's work flourish within the industry as well. So your current Kickstarter is a uh, a collection of the Talking Bread. So is this your first like trade paperback as such? It's yes, it's my first trade uh, that I've collected after you know this many uh releases I'm, I'm excited to go to trade format it's been a real joy to be able to turn these back into um color they're all black and white originally so going back to them and coloring them and collecting them as a trade was very rewarding the comic had actually been out of print now for about three four years now um so coming back to it and collecting it as a volume the first three issues um, as a volume was very exciting and I've received a test proof the other day for it from our printer and it was it was kind of overwhelming to see that see it in that format um, for the first time so I, I'm excited to have this out and kind of it, 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 look I'm not gonna lie it, it's colored now it's way I originally attended um, it to be and it, it really does fit into that cartoon style um, of comic book illustrating that I've always wanted to do so having it now in trade format is really exciting excellent yeah so when does the kickstarter launch so we're launching it on the 6th of october yeah um, so it's a thursday and we've got a target of four and a half thousand dollars which is to cover printing costs um shipping and some of the merchandise that will be getting printed um which is it's it's a it's a reasonable amount i think in the world of crowdfunding um it's to basically cover the costs of getting the book printed um, but also, like I said at the beginning, it's kind of this is a pre-order system for us as well. It's it's a great way of kind of getting it out to a larger audience that possibly my personal website um, wouldn't be able to reach on the um, the World Wide Web. Fantastic. So, how are you finding the Australian comic scene as far as the cons and the the characters involved? Uh, is it been a embracing community? Yeah, it's been. It's actually 
it's quite interesting going back to when I first discovered independent comics. There were um, there's some people who are now big leagues that were writing their comic books. Um, Tom Taylor, for instance, is in one name. Um, Matt Kime, who's become a really good friend um, to me, and there's a few others. Darren Close, um, Sean Keenan. They've all um, gone off now and they're doing bigger things um, with their IP and also working for bigger publishers. Um, And it's quite interesting. It was really welcoming. It was really welcoming when you first come into the industry. And I love that. I think that's really supporting if anyone else has come through. And I've kind of tried to embellish that myself um, as the years have gone by with my experience. And, it was, and it still is. Um, you go to a convention and you'll, you might not know someone, but you go up and have a chat to them about their comic book at a table and they're, they're welcoming. They, you know, you might do a, a swap of a comic book just to understand this person's story and kind of know about them a little bit. And I, I, I kind of love that. I think that's great. Um, I can't speak badly of the independent comics. There's no, I guess it's not really the instance where you have tall poppy syndrome in a lot of other industries whereas in um, the comic book community there's a really it's a camaraderie of let's all grow together you know the rising tide floats all ships and i just i I think it's going from strength to strength at the moment i think that there's a huge community of um, comic book creators coming out in the indie community and they're finding their own ways to publish their own comics which is really exciting i think um and also the comic book stores in australia too the the community there are very supportive um you're familiar with these comics paul and brendan has been a champion for us personally and i know in the industry of comic books as well just letting you know he's got a huge australian um, indie comic scene shelf and you can go in there and you can see a vast array of comic books from australian creators and even outside of australia as well i've made some great connections within england and um, america with indie creators there and I've got some great friendships from that um, and working alongside them and, and watching them grow as well. Some that have gone on now to do bigger things within the, um, the comics or the, the uh, animation side of it as well. So yeah, it's really supportive. And for anyone out there, that's kind of hesitant or thinking of doing it. I would say jump in and you know, all it takes is just a quick message via Twitter or Instagram to your favorite writer or artist, just saying, Hey, look, have you got any advice? Um, I'm happy to do that too. I've always, um, if someone messages me and asks me about what do I do, I'm always happy to give my um, my opinion and my um, service to help out someone get off the ground. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about All Star Comics and I think uh, in Melbourne and D's Comics in Canberra, they they have a real uh, ability to hand sell a comic and you know show you why it's special and it's not just you know this is a corporate endeavour to make you know a ton of money ha 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 in australia but um yeah they they will recommend things and they you know there's obviously a lot of uh love and i guess pride in what australia can produce yes yes there is and it's it's been it's been really welcoming that audience this year we had the um it's been a couple of years since we've been able to do an install release but uh we had the apparition part two um with its official release at d's comics we do try we do um variant covers for the store which are exclusives and we had dan watts who is a fantastic australian artist who's had his work featured in job done uh, and more recently um star killer as well and 
to have him be a part of this as well and then have him at the store, have his comic variant cover at the store and have a release was huge. And it was great to be back there doing it again and to have Brendan kind of champion us with the, um, the release of our variant covers and to do exclusives there is huge. I know the cost that goes into doing the variant cover and the store itself and what it, what it can make from a variant cover. And it's, it's a risk. Um, but it, it's, it's, phenomenal when it happens and it's amazing to be able to do a a variant cover for a comic book store as a small little indie creator like we are or i am as well so it is really it's something something so special and how were the COVID years were they, were they challenging or uh with all the cons shutting down look it, it's kind of a interesting um story because when it happened it was i was doing um Supernova Melbourne it was, and it was starting to kind of bubble over for the you know, lockdowns and stuff. I think I was there. I think it was the last one. I, they just snuck in before uh, everything stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had Kevin Eastman was there, so it was it was really Kevin Eastman and um, I'm having a mental blank again. And it's the creator of the Crow there, but it was actually really amazing to get to meet those guys. Uh, James Obar. That's the one. I know. I knew it was Obar. I was like, I'm not going to risk it and make a fool <laughs> of myself. And I love the crow, and I can't remember his name. That's, that's totally messed up. But it was interesting. Yeah, we had the convention. Um, we had a new release for that one, which was in Purgatory issue three, I believe. And I kind of thought, okay, well, this is going to happen. I, I had a, I had a job. Um, ended up going part time for that, and I was like, oh, well, I need to, you know, knuckle down. And you know, lockdowns, you couldn't do anything. I was like, well, this is the perfect opportunity to kind of crank out some new comics. So I just went into the studio and hustled away. I, I wrote In Purgatory 4, 5, and 6 in that, that time, and then I wrote um, The Apparition in that time. I revisited projects I want to do in the future. For me, COVID was a blessing in disguise because I was able to really focus on improving my art, improving my writing skills, without having the distraction of conventions or um, a social life or anything else. You know, it was obviously a hard time for a lot of people, and I, I do acknowledge that. But for me, it was a chance to really, you know, knuckle down, focus on my work and get it, uh, improve it and turn it into something else, which has been was been great. It's been absolutely amazing to be able to do that and have that opportunity to be able to stop uh, and just work on my skill set. So tell us about uh, the apparition and in purgatory. What are they about? Yeah, so uh, in purgatory came uh, just as I was wrapping up the Talking Bread, the first six issues, um, and I wanted to do something that related back to my um, my relationship with religion. I was raised as a Catholic, and I denounced my faith as a, a uh, early teenager, and had something happened that kind of made me question it. And, and when I dug a little deeper, I believe that it was. I just needed to step away from that, and I did. So this is a bit of a swan song to religion and how I feel about it. Uh, it's about the Grim Reaper, uh, life after death. It tells a story through his perspective, and it talks about um, it talks about religion. It talks about um, what we go through as as people, and has you know characters that tell their own stories that actually link to my own, whether it be something I've gone through or something that I feel. And it tells the story for those characters, the writers of the um, apocalypse. Um, you've got Satan. You've got different characters from different Bible stories, stuff like that. That kind of all into it. And it is it is not it's not a comedy like The Talking Bread. It's a little bit darker. 
it does have some dark humor in it and the reaction to that has been incredible as well um i i, I liked it i think it's been more well received than talking bread um because putting a skull on a cover is a lot easier to sell than sentient bread but everyone that has picked it up, I've actually had a lot of feedback from in Purgatory and people who have read that. And when I when I pitch it to people at conventions, I always say it's you know has something to do with my religious um, upbringing. And most of the time, I get a reaction of saying, "Wow, what similar to what I've been through." So I've had a lot of feedback via social media saying, "We love the book. We actually really understand where you're coming from, and." We want more. So I've got to finish that. I've got two more issues of that story to tell. Um, but hopefully we'll get around to, um, next year. I've got them written, ready to go. I've just got to illustrate them. But yeah, it's, that's been a really interesting process to go down. It does heavily influence on the, um, I guess the more darker side of comics that I read. Johnny the Homicide Maniac has been, it was a massive influence in that. I'm just looking at it back now. I'm trying to think of what else has influenced it. Um, Hellboy, you know, you've got stuff like that. Even even things like I Hate Fairyland, which is a bit more whimsical, but I've taken a lot of a darker tone um, with it. They have been a great influence in creating that story, and it's been it's been really cathartic for me to be able to write these characters and kind of get that off my chest after all these years. And I do think I really do believe that a lot of stories, um, great stories that I enjoy, are based off the the writers or the creators. Um, own personal um, affairs or um, stuff that they've gone through personally and come out on the other side. I really do love that kind of storytelling. So I think that's why Purgatory resonates with so many readers. Um, and I love that. I think that's great. And then there's Apparition, which Apparition is, it is a pulp parody series that takes the mickey out of a certain superhero that I won't name for legal reasons. <laughs> but it's basically a piss take on superheroes and it's kind of the toxicity around fandom as well i believe if you don't love it leave it if you're not enjoying the story walk away from it don't be a um don't be a hater don't don't find yourself in a situation where you're commenting or posting or um, bad mouthing the creators or the creative team on it if you don't like it just leave it and that, that's something i've that's something that got me into making my own comics. I was just like, this isn't for me anymore. I'm going to move on. I'm going to create my own stories and find independent comics, um, which I've done. And, and the, yeah, the apparition really tells that side of the toxicity of um, fandom. And it's been, it's been very well received. It's quite funny at conventions. People will see it up on the back wall and they'll say that superhero. And I'll be like, no, <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's not it at all. Uh, for legal reasons, I cannot say that. Um, but it's a pulp parody satire. It's, yeah, basically, I, I think I'll give too much away. It's still a young series. It's finished. It's concluded now. Um, it's a two-part series that was can, 60 pages contained in each story. So um, I kind of got in, got what I got out, what I had to say, and then really got out quickly before uh, the, the legal prosecution came into play. <laughs> yeah. I well, I, I can't wait to next time I'm at D's, I'm going to grab that one. Uh, sounds fantastic. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, all right. Well, best of luck with the Kickstarter. So, where can people find you know more about you online? Where can they follow you on Twitter? That, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so we've got a few outlets at the moment. Um, you know, the joys of social media and all that. But on Kickstarter at the moment, it is launching as the Talking Bread Volume One. Uh, it will be launching on the sixth of October. We have it ready to go, so if you could jump on there and hit the um, subscribe button to that, and when it launches, you'll receive a notification. That'd be great. 
there's huge been a huge process to get that ready um to color it and to get the kickstarter ready i hope you'll enjoy what's coming from kickstarter we've got a really cool page set up with some really cool um offers you can grab on there as well um and then if you want to check us out on social media we are on facebook which is halftone productions uh, and check us out there we put all our other work up on there um, we've got Instagram, so we've got the Halftime Productions Instagram, and we've also got my personal art page, which is created by Kieran. Then we've got Twitter, which is my Twitter handle is created by Kieran again, where you can check me out there. I just drop, you know, what I'm working on or a few, um, a few things, a few thoughts that go through my head about comic books or films or politics. I have, I have uh, chimed in about politics every now and again. Mm. I, I mean, I love that you're a real person on Twitter and you're not just spruiking constantly like some people do. You know, for people just want to collect followers and you know flog their stuff and nothing else. I unfortunately, I feel like I'm that person at the moment with uh, the Kickstarter coming up. I feel like I'm spruiking every day at the moment. It's kind of, it's kind of like, oh, how much do I do? It's like you gotta, you gotta kind of have that self doubt. It's like, oh, do I do too much or I do too little? So I kind of feel like that at the moment, which is a bit of a, it's a bit of a crux to uh, using Twitter. I feel you can fall into that trap where you're just promoting yourself all the time. And I, I do like to try and talk a little bit of uh, personality and put a little bit of personality into Twitter just to make things a bit more fun for people who are on it. I know that Twitter can be a bit daunting sometimes with some stuff that goes on there. I have joined TikTok and I'm slowly coming around to that. Um, as an artist, I think I've got to be a bit more uh, open to TikTok. So I'll start to post some artwork on there. I do do some fan art from time to time, so I'll chuck that up on there and might do some demo videos. And then finally, we've I've just launched a Patreon. And Patreon is going to be a um, – it's going to offer fan art. I'm going to do some fan art on there. But I'm also going to be offering um, behind the scenes into my comic book experience and whether it's writing or illustrating tutorials. And the idea with that will be actually to kind of give you guys a bit of an insight. So you'll get scripts from the series. You'll get concept art that might not have been released before. Um, and also what I'm planning to do is I'm going to be writing a exclusive Patreon series. Um, and I actually can announce it here today. It's actually going to be called the Crimson Finch. Funny thing there is it actually takes place in the same world as the, the apparition. And it's going to be uh, kind of... a it's a take on what if a superhero, what if a vigilante was a murderous psychopath? How would that react with the everyday um, audience, people who live in that world? And I'm kind of going to have a bit of fun with it, but also try and tell a story there as well. So that'll be on Patreon as well. I'm looking at doing a weekly page release with also you'll receive content of a character, designs, scripts behind the scene look as well there'll be videos on the process of creating that so i'm currently juggling that around whilst i'm getting the kickstarter ready but um patreon's been a really interesting world to kind of jump into after all these years i've always wanted to do it but i think it's been trying to find how to do it differently and try and draw people into who might be interested in my storytelling um and how to check that out so please go and check out created by kieran on patreon I do appreciate the support in any way or form that you can. I think that's it. I think that's it. Fantastic. Oh, YouTube. There's a YouTube channel oh, as well. So wow. there's a YouTube channel where we do, we've got some um, live streams we do as well. Likewise, with um, the launch of the Kickstarter, we'll be doing a, a, a live stream on YouTube that night. Yeah, it, it's social media, man. It's you gotta you got to love it, but you've also got to hate it because you, <laughs> you need to put the time into uh, promoting yourself. Oh, it's a necessary evil, but it can also be a lot of fun. Yes, it can. 
yes, it's it's a yeah, it's a double-edged sword. All right. So uh, if you like uh, bread puns and things like that, you'll be wanting the Talking Bread Volume One. So presumably there'll be a Volume Two to finish it off if this is successful, which I'm I'm sure it will be given your track record with Kickstarters. So fantastic. Yes. Thanks, Kieran. Yeah. Thanks for joining Thank me today. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time.